Earlier this year, I ended a nine-year run as a youth pastor. I'd like to share my final message to the teens at that church on this episode of the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, and until recently, I was a youth pastor. I served at a church called Second Assembly, and I was there for nine years. And yes, the church was actually called Second Assembly. (laughs) That was literally its name. We didn't even have a first assembly in town. I'm guessing that we did at one time, and so that's why our church was called Second Assembly. I mean, either that or whoever was in charge of naming churches back then was just really bad at counting. But anyway, um, I felt the Lord releasing me from that church, from that calling several months ago. And so since then, uh, I've moved on. I'm, I'm serving in a different ministry now. And I thought, while we're here at Christmas break, uh, I'm just going to share that final message that I delivered for the youth group on my last night there as their youth pastor. You know, we're here at the end of the year. It's a time that I, I often find myself thinking of last things or how we end things here as we end a year and and how we want to end things well. And so I thought this would just be a good time to, to perhaps share that message. And also, uh, I hope you had a great Christmas. I hope you're now enjoying your Christmas break. I'm recording this actually kind of early. I'm scheduling it to air right after Christmas. And, um, uh, you know, I'd, I'm just thinking probably during Christmas break, it's probably a time that you're not in the mood for these in-depth Bible studies. And so um, those will return. I'm just not doing one for you this week, but those will return in 2023. And so the message itself that I'm going to share tonight, uh, it was recorded back in August of this year, I think. And, and back when I was pastoring, uh, I was always really just particularly fascinated by two types of sermons that I would listen to other pastors deliver. The first sermon they ever preached to a church congregation and their last sermon they ever preached to a church congregation. You know, if I'm looking up a, a well-known preacher, those are often the types of sermons that I especially want to hear from them, um, especially the last sermon. I want to know what their final thoughts were what they left their flock with in their last opportunity to minister from the pulpit. It's something I've always found fascinating. And so I I don't know if I had anything profound to say in that sense, but I just, I thought it'd be an interesting thing to share here during Christmas break time. So we'll join the message in a few moments. I do want to comment on a couple things. Um, This was not a typical lesson for me. I typically preach expository messages. I just like to spend the whole lesson on just one text, sometimes I'll take a couple of texts and try to, you know, if they're closely related, and I'll I'll try to explain them together. And I, I that's what I like to do the whole time when, during a lesson. I like to let Scripture determine the outline, let Scripture determine the problem, let Scripture give us the solution. I try to relate it to current events. Uh, that's what I try to do a lot in my lessons. This message does not follow that pattern. This one is more of a summary message. I just tried to instill some final bits of wisdom 
that I had learned over the years and just wanted to share those one last time. It kind of summarized a lot of things that I would try to share with the youth. So um, remember that. Another thing to remember, there's a lot of inside jokes present in this message. <laughs> like at one point, I referred to something called the Purple Nights. These are when I would have the, the honestly, j- frankly, the sex talks with the teenagers, um, which nobody ever enjoyed. And and I <laughs> I used, well, you, over time that became the code word for that was purple. So um, that's that's one thing that I, I make reference to in the thing. I don't, it's not a purple night, but I make reference to that. That's what that's all about. I, I refer to the fact that I had just finished an epic Bible study on the book of Malachi where, where we spent eight or nine months on that four chapter book of the old Testament. Now, if you're, if you're not new here, (laughs) that won't surprise you at all. If you've seen how slowly I like to crawl through Ezekiel, you know, here on this podcast, it's not going to surprise you. I like to move through the Bible slowly um, because I think the Bible's worth it. Uh, You know, once I did a 12 part series on the book of Jude, that's a one chapter book of the Bible. (laughs) We broke it up into 12 parts. And, and learned about it. I, I did a whole Sunday school class one time on the word if in Second Peter. So I just like to move through the Bible slow. I think it deserves it. And so there's some inside jokes about stuff like that scattered, especially right towards the end. It'd honestly take too long for me to explain all of them to you right now. Let me just say I definitely did not sell my wife's cat. And, and we'll just leave it at that. And one last thing I want to mention um, we had just finished a church dinner right before our youth service. And so if you hear some conversation kind of going on in the background, if you hear the clatter of plates and stuff getting washed and cleaned, um, that's that's what that is. Especially it's it's really loud in like the first minute and it kind of lingers for like the first half of the lesson. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, this was not great audio quality because there's all that background clatter just try to get through it if you can. I think it's worth it. It, it gets better as the as time goes on. It gets better and better the, the longer you listen. So just try to power through that. And, um, and I, I think you'll be blessed by what you hear. So with all that in mind, here is my last sermon at Second Assembly. This is one of those things that's a little weird. God gave me this message years ago in 2017. I felt as though God was telling me, I was reading something in the Bible and I felt as though God was telling me, this is the last thing that I want you to give at Second Assembly in 2017. And I was like, okay, so I thought maybe I'm getting ready to be called away back then, Uh, but I wasn't. And so I just kind of sat on this for five years now. Uh, But this week, as I went through it and I was like, this is going to be my last message I do at Second Assembly. I see why God wanted me to know about it back then and why he wanted me to share it tonight. So let me read the verses. And these verses that I read, um, I'm not preaching this at you. This is not, the, the, God's a little mad at Israel here. This is what I always thought, I do not want this to be said of you. So this is what has been kind of like some guiding verses for me. God said to Israel, let me sing a song for my beloved. My love song concerning his vineyard. Does everyone know what a vineyard is? It's where they grow grapes. God's using a vineyard as like an illustration or a picture of how he thought of Israel. He said, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. 
He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? So God's talking about this vineyard here, and the vineyard is Israel. And he says, Israel was my vineyard. I watered it. I took care of it. I kept the rodents out. I put walls around it. I made sure it always had everything that it needed. And then for Israel, despite all that God had done for them, you know, a lot of them didn't follow God very well. And um, instead of, as God said, instead of coming back, he expected some juicy, sweet grapes and they were bitter, wild grapes. And God says, what happened? I gave them everything that they needed. Why did they turn out this way? I like verse four right there. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? So God said, I did everything I could to make them successful. And he says, what more could I have done that I could not have done? And I thought when I read those verses, I want that to be true of me whenever I finally leave Second Assembly someday is what more could I have done? Did I do all that I could? Did I do my very best to teach you everything I thought you needed to know? So I've always used that as like my guiding verses for when I finally left someday that I could say, I taught everything that I intended to. I didn't leave anything out. There wasn't like a part of the Bible that I didn't address well enough, but that I covered all that I was supposed to. What more was there to do that I have not done? So I felt like God gave me those verses years ago and just wanted me to think about that. So that's why I thought, you know, I only have a certain amount of time doing the thing that I'm doing now, and I don't know how long that is, but I'm always going to be making sure that I've taught everything that I meant to. I don't want to leave with any regrets. You know, I think, don't football players say leave it all out on the field? I want to leave it all out on the field. So that's why sometimes I have to throw a purple night at you. You know, I don't like doing a purple night. Who likes hearing a purple night? No one. Oh, you don't know a purple? No. You don't want to know. You don't You got, to know. you don't, you got, <laughs> you lucked out, Kinley. No one likes to teach a purple night. No one likes to be there for a purple night. But you know what? If I'm going to teach everything in God's word, we got to do a purple message every now and then. So I was always asking myself, what could I do to make the youth more successful, to bring them closer to God, to teach them everything that they need to know? Is there an area where we're weak? that we need to be strengthened? Is there you know, a problem that we need to address? So that's why I teach the things that I taught. And I wish I could have done more, but you know what? Um, I just tried to do the best I could with the time that I have. Uh, I was always asking myself questions. Have I taught enough on this this year? Have I taught enough on that? Did we do enough lessons from the book of Malachi? Right, do you think we did? I don't know, it took almost a year. It took almost a year. It was only 19, but it was a lot. Have I reminded them about seeking the Holy Spirit? Have I talked about the cross lately? Have I helped them to love Jesus more this year? And so I was always asking myself those questions. I know I'm not perfect, um, but God doesn't expect perfection. He just wants us to do our best, right? That's the best that we can do is to do our best. And so I've just always tried to give you my best. Um, so I want to leave you with three lessons tonight. And they're not really, they're not necessarily about these verses today, just like three life lessons that I want to leave you with, um, that I want you to just never forget. Okay. And this first one's a little bit depressing. (laughs) It's called who will cry at your funeral? Who will cry at your funeral? 
Here's the reason I asked that. It's a little bit of a depressing question. But in 2015, Newsweek ran a story, and they gave this statistic. They said only about 10 people cry at the average funeral. That's a little bit of a bummer, right? Only about 10. So the writer of the article was really upset about that. He says, I was floored. You mean I can work hard all my life trying to do good and please others, and in the end, only 10 people will care enough to cry? That's a good question. You guys ever heard of a, the graveside service after a funeral? Who's ever been to one of those? It's where they have the funeral, and then sometimes some people will go to the graveside, and they, you know, they're there for the final part. The number one indicator of whether someone shows up to a graveside is the weather that day. If it's pouring rain, a lot of people are just like, nah, I'm not going to worry about it. If it's like 150 degrees outside like it has been lately, they're probably like, uh, I'm not going to go to the graveside on this one. If it's a nice sunny day, a lot of times people will go to the graveside. Number one indicator is the weather. That's a little bit depressing. So here's what I want you to consider. If on average, about 10 people cry at your funeral, I just want you to take some time this week and think about who are the people who would cry over me if I was gone? Who are the people who'd actually be, be that sad if I wasn't here? And you can think about it. You know, it'd be, it'd be your families, right? It'd be your closest friends. So here's what I'm saying about all that. Let the people that you focus on in your life, let it be those people who care about you the most, your family, your parents, your siblings, your, your friends, the, the people who really do love you and appreciate you and show you appreciation. Invest the most time and thoughts into those people. Don't spend all the time dwelling on celebrities who have no idea who you even are, okay? That there's people right at your school maybe that you'd feel really cool if they noticed you. In reality, they're probably not thinking about you that much. We'd like, oh man, if that person knew who I was, I'd be popular, okay? Don't spend all your time thinking about those people. Don't spend all your time thinking about the people who criticize you, the people who just want to use you for something. Don't spend all your time thinking about random people on social media that when you post something, you're like hoping that they see. Focus on those people who are the closest to you in life, the ones who would cry at your funeral, the ones, the ones who care about you the most. That's who we should spend our most time thinking about, the people who appreciate you. I saw this photo the other day. This really kind of hit me hard. It was like a little girl sitting on her phone, right? It's just like this little girl sitting on her phone and they're at a McDonald's or something and the grandpa's just sitting there. And she probably looks like in her head, she's a million miles away, right? And it had this caption on the photo. It said, she will regret that one day. Why is she gonna regret it? Someday he'll be gone. And she's like, I didn't even pay attention to him whenever he was here. So I just want you guys, think about those people in your life who, um, who care. Focus on the people who care. Not the people who don't care. Not the people who don't care about you. Focus on the people who do care about you. Number two, you won't become what you're not in the process of becoming. Okay? This is a phrase I've thrown out at you guys a few times before. This is one of the most powerful phrases I've ever heard in my life. You won't become what you're not in the process of becoming. Does anyone else think that's a tongue twister? Like, what's that even saying? Okay? Here's what that means. If you want to become something someday, 
You have to be in a process to get to that point. You have to be working toward that goal. What's your goal? You know, what do you want to do someday? Maybe you want to be a school teacher, okay, when you're 22 or 23. Well, you're not going to get to age 23 and just wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm going to drive down to the school and start teaching a class. That's not the way it works, is it? You got to go through a process to become a school teacher, right? You go to, you got to graduate high school, you go to college, you take all those classes. It takes like four years. I think there's a teacher's test you got to pass. You got to apply at a school, get accepted to, for, to have a job there. And then bam, then you can be a school teacher, but you can't just wake up and say, oh, that's what I want to do. I'm just going to go do that. You have to go through a process to get to that point. So what do you want to be someday? What do you want to do? If you want to be a leader someday, well, what leadership lessons, what leadership principles are you trying to learn right now? Maybe you have a bad habit you're trying to quit, okay? What are you trying to do today to stop that bad habit, to get yourself out of it? Okay, hey, if you wanna, if you wanna learn, a new, learn a new language, okay, if you wanna learn how to play an instrument, those are great ideas, but you have to do something to make that a reality. You can't just wake up one day and just play an instrument. You gotta practice it. You gotta, you know, you gotta learn how to do it, okay? I, so I go to the gym a few times a week, and sometimes I mention that to people, and they say, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to do that. I've been meaning to get a gym membership. And then I run into them a couple years later, and they're like, oh, yeah, hey, I, I've been meaning to get a gym membership. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, dude, years have gone by. Okay, you, you can intend to do something all the time. You can mean to do, do something all the time. I've been meaning to, meaning to, meaning to, but guess what? They haven't been to the gym once. If you want to make things happen, you have to do something. Good intentions don't get stuff done. You have to do actions. You have to work for what you want. So if you want something, you have to do something about it. And let me say this too. Finish what you start. Because a lot of people get halfway through a project, and then they just jump to some other project and because they get bored with something, and they want to start a new project, and they never finish the first one. And then when they get bored with that one, they just jump into something else and they never finish what they start. Has that ever accomplished anything? You can stay busy doing projects for years, but if you never finish any of them, what have you done? If you want to, say you want to be a nurse, okay, an RN. Now let's say you go to college and you take 99% of the courses and classes that they have, have you do to become an RN. Have you become an RN? No. Can you go down to the hospital and get a job? Has 99% accomplished anything? You have to go 100% or they're not going to give you that degree. They're not going to give you that certification. You have to do everything that they require to get to that point. So finish what you start or you haven't done anything. And then my third point, the last thing I want to leave you with tonight is about George Foreman. Has anybody ever heard of George Foreman? There was a boxer named George Foreman in the 1960s, very successful boxer. He won a gold medal for the United States of America at the Olympics. He also became the world champion of boxing. Then a few years later, he boxed Muhammad Ali. That's who's in this picture right here. And he lost and he decided to retire. And then he became a minister. And after being a minister for several years, he realized that he missed hitting people. So he went back to... (laughs) boxing at the age of (laughs) 
<laughs> now you have a career path, Aubrey. <laughs> so he went back to boxing and he won the world championship again at the oldest person to ever do so. And then he created a grill, which a lot of us might have in our cabinets. I have one at home. Okay, so a George Foreman grill. It's like a little grill that you can just keep in your kitchen if you want to just like make a chicken breast or something, fry it up on there. Grill it, I mean. That's one of the first things that we bought when I moved into the apartment after we got married. It's like, I want a George Foreman grill. And we got a lot of use out of it over the years. And George Foreman has slapped his name on a lot of other things too. The George Foreman roaster and contact cooker, the George Foreman panini press, the George Foreman waffle maker, the George Foreman rotisserie. And then when George Foreman had a son, he decided the name George Foreman's so good, he named his son George Foreman Jr. And then he had another son. So he decided to name that one George Foreman III. Then he had another son. And that one, George Foreman IV. And then his next son was George Foreman V. <laughs> and then there was George Foreman the Sixth. Right. He had to give each one of them a second name, I found out, because <laughs> I was looking this up. How did this work? So he had five sons. So it went all the way to George Foreman the sixth, because he's crazy about that name, George Foreman. He also had a daughter. What's her name, like Georgina? Georgetta. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. So George Foreman is 73, but... Yeah, today he is 70. Well, not literally today. It's not his birthday. But I looked it up. He's 73 years old now. But whenever he dies, he's leaving a legacy because his name's going to be all over the place. It's on like a bunch of kids. <laughs> it's going to be on a bunch of products in our kitchens. So here's what I want to say is that you leave a legacy everywhere you go. And your legacy is how people remember you. Now, a lot of times we apply it to the end of our lives. We say, when, when I die someday, you know, what's my legacy going to be? We talk about it a lot in, in reference to our death, but it can be used in a lot of other things too. For example, whenever you leave high school someday, some of you left high school, I know. But someday, when you leave high school, you leave a legacy there. There's something that people remember about you from your days in high school. When you leave behind a school, you leave your legacy there. Okay, the things that you did at that school are what people will remember about you. When you leave a job, you leave a legacy from that job. The way that you acted at that job is how people are going to remember you. So here's what I'm saying. Think about what kind of legacy that you want to leave and be preparing that while you're still there. Okay, for whatever churches that you're at, you know, throughout your life, you leave a legacy with every church you attend. You leave a legacy with every job you have. So think about what you want that to be. How do I want people to remember me? Think about that and make that a reality. Decide what kind of legacy you want to leave and spend every day trying to live up to that standard. You know, if you say, I want people to remember me as an honest person. If that's how you want them to remember you, be an honest person, right? If you wait till your last semester of high school to decide how you want people to remember you, it's too late, right? You got to be preparing that before. So here's what I kind of noticed is I, 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 I was just thinking about what are three life lessons I would really want to leave with the youth. And I came up with these. 
And I realized there's something that ties all of them together, is think about where you want to end and work backward from there. Think about where you want to end and work backward from there. Who's going to be crying at my funeral? (laughs) Thank you, Josie. (laughs) Think about that. Start at the end and work backwards. Those are the people that you should care about the most. Those are the people you should focus on the most. You won't become what you're not in the process of becoming. So decide where you want to end and work backwards. Figure out how you get there. You leave a legacy everywhere you go. So what do you want your legacy to be? And what are you doing, that, what are you doing now to make that your legacy? And I think that's why God showed me Isaiah 5 years ago and said, this is what I want you to be for your last message at Second Assembly, is what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Think about where I'm going to end up and think, now, how do I get to that point? How do I get to this point where at my, at, on my last day, I've done all that I can, that I have no regrets. And so that's, that's, how, that's why, that's the statement I want to be able to make whenever I leave the church, is what more could I have done than what I did? Did I do all I could? Did I do my best? Did I go overboard on grab some chair? No, you wouldn't have Was I too racist against Josie? Yes. yes. Or was I not racist enough? Uh, no. <laughs> Did I use too many Fortnite illustrations? Yes. No, yes, never. Was I wrong to sell my wife's cat? But the question I just always ask myself was, am I doing my best? And I just want to be able to say that I did my best. You know, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. For, I messed up a lot. For the times that I mess up, I hope you guys can forgive me. If I, ever said something, if I ever said something hurtful or made a joke that I shouldn't have. I just hope you can forgive me. And if I ever helped you to grow closer to God, I hope you can remember those moments too. So... So that's the, the question that's always on my mind is what kind of memory will the teenagers have of me as their youth pastor? And, and so that's the question that gave me motivation to do the best job I, that I could do. It pushed me because I want every memory that you always have of our church to be positive. And I remember years ago, I heard someone tell youth pastors, he said, teenagers are probably never going to remember a sermon you preached, but they will remember how you made them feel. So... It's okay. Hey, you don't, might not remember every, the, a lot of the stuff I said. That's all right. I, I, try to, <laughs> I try to craft a lesson. I try to do my best job on delivering it. But I know you probably won't remember it in five years. I, here's what I do hope. I hope you remember that I loved you, that I'm your biggest fan, that nothing is more important to me than your success and setting you up for a great future and a great relationship with God. And... Uh, That's all I wanted to say. So I want to pray and let's go. Uh, Dear Lord, I just thank you for this youth group here at the church and for nine wonderful years. And I just ask you to keep your hands on them. And God, we're, we're looking to the next person you send along to lead the youth group. And we just know you're preparing that person. And I, I just pray that they come quickly and the youth group would be ready to receive them and that you do great things with the future of this group of kids because it's an awesome group of kids and and lord you have great plans for their lives and i'm i'm thankful for the time i could use to hopefully move them in the direction god 
that, that you wanted them to go in and prepare them for all the stuff you have stored up for them. And so I just pray your blessing on this group. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.